0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 256th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit iwanttosaveseeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. On today's podcast, we have someone who knows a thing or two about what you can do with a plant. We're talking to Tammy Hartung about the versatility of plants. Tammy is an ethnobotanical herbalist, organic farmer, author, and international speaker. She has been working with plants for more than 37 years. She and her husband, Chris, own Desert Canyon Farm, a certified organic farm in southern Colorado, where they grow more than 1,200 different varieties of plants. Wow, we're going to have to talk about that one, Tammy. She is also (laughs) the author of several books, including the national bestseller, Homegrown Herbs, the wildlife-friendly vegetable gardener, and her newest book, Cattail Moonshine and Milkweed Medicine, published by Story Publishing. Welcome to the show today, Tammy.
1: I'm really happy to be here today.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
1: Well, it's been an interesting path, and I think that always makes life a lot of fun. But
0: <laughs> that, I it started, does.
1: <laughs> I started out as a very a young, newly married woman fascinated by plants, and my next-door neighbor came over with this plant and said, you need this in your garden. <laughs> and, and it was lemony, and it was wonderful, and I asked him what it was, and he didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, but he said it makes great tea. And so I planted it, and I started making sun tea from it, and then it's evolved from there. So I've worked as a plant propagator for a great big uh, garden center nursery. I did that as a way to earn a living for myself and my little girl, Uh and I kind of buffaloed my way into that job. But in any case, that was fantastic, and I've worked as a research assistant for the Herb Research Foundation and managed an extract laboratory, uh, making herbal remedies, Uh and all kinds of things. But at this point in time, for the last 21 years, Chris and I have been owning and running Desert Canyon Farm, and um, we we do a lot of things here, too, but we grow all different types of herbs and heirloom vegetable plants, and we grow flower seeds for a German seed company, and in the winter I write books, and so it's a good life. It's It's filled with all kinds of things plant-related.
0: Nice. So as I commented in your bio, 1,200 different varieties of plants. How do you even, I'm having a hard time grokking that. How do you even wrap your head around 1,200 different varieties and what are they?
1: Well, so I have to tell you that I've been telling people for the last number of years that we've been growing 800 varieties. And this spring we were making our list of plants that we needed new plants that we needed to make signs for for Uh our farm stand store and the next thing i know the tally on the xl programs at 1216 or 17 plants (laughs) and and i just looked at liz who works here with us as our assistant grower and i said no wonder we're so busy
0: yeah no kidding Um,
1: but we do all sorts of varieties of things too so for example we grow 38 different kinds of basil Mm, and um, we have 58 kinds of heirloom tomato plants Mm -hmm. that we grow so you know a lot of those are varieties of things that we are doing.
0: So are you growing plant starts then or are you growing the plants out? Well, we do a little
1: of both. Mm -hmm. Most of our income comes from selling potted plants, little plant starts um, that we wholesale to garden centers, and we sell farm direct here on the farm in the spring. Right. But we also have an heirloom fruit tree orchard here that produces apples and peaches and nectarines and apricots, all sorts of fruits. And then we have a field crop two acres that are in specialty perennial flower seed crops for Jolito Seed Company, a ah. German seed company. Oh, so wow. there's lots of things happening here.
0: Yeah. Wow. All right. So orchard, plant starts, growing out seeds. Do you have a favorite piece? Well, no, I love
1: all of it, to tell you the truth. I, I don't think I could really choose. Yeah. And it. It changes all the time with farming. You know, farming is not a rigid art or science. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an art and a science, and it's always fluid. It's always changing from year to year. So we started out here growing medicinal herbs that were fresh cut and sent to extract manufacturers all over the country in the U.K., and they were sent 24 hours from harvest. Wow. And then they were processed straight away into tinctures and oils and saps and things. And and as that market shifted and changed and we shifted and changed too and and we started doing uh, other things and the heirloom vegetable plants were just what we grew in our own food garden and uh-huh. And some of our wholesale customers that bought herb plants from us said, you know, if you have any extras of those, we'd be interested (laughs) in buying them. And now there's 180 different ones on our list. So it just is a constantly evolving thing. And I really think that part of the way you can be successful on a small farm is by being flexible and, and willing to change as as your life changes or as markets change and climate changes and all sorts of things
0: come into it. So this has got to be, you know, if you were growing out a hundred different varieties of plants, that would be a business. This has got to be a life passion for you.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's also... A way to earn livelihood. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're only five, five acres here, so every smidgen of this farm has to count. Uh-huh. And it's also our home place, so um, it's all it has to also be a paradise for us yeah. because we rarely get to leave. You know, when you're busy with all these kinds of things, you don't get a lot of free time to go do other stuff. Right. So it is it is a passion, I would say, but... As much a part of that is we want to be able to earn our living. We're not getting rich, but we're paying our bills. And and we have a lifestyle here that's created to be what we want it to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I find for me, I'm not getting rich doing what I'm doing, but I love it and it's contributing and I'm paying my bills. And I don't know that there's much better than that. Exactly. I mean, yeah. if you can do
1: that and life is full and good, then you know anything else is a
0: bonus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what is an ethnobotanical herbalist?
1: Well, so I'm actually trained as a clinical herbalist or medical herbalist. Oh, right. And that's my formal training mm-hmm. is in in doing that, but what my passion really is all the different ways that we work with plants and how we use them in the past how we've used them in the past how we use them today
2: mm-hmm.
1: in our moment to moment and what are we looking towards in the future you know how are we going to use these plants going forward and i think that we kind of get separated from that a little bit and we forget all the ways that plants are part of our lives so as an ethnobotanical herbalist that's what i'm interested in is all the all the ways, whether it's clothing or food or medicine or some co- glue that you make from a plant latex that right. you're going to waterproof your roof, whatever it is, I'm, that's what I'm interested in. But I'm not an ethnobotanist. You know, an ethnobotanist studies those things um, to share the information on. But I put it to use in my day to day. I mm-hmm. am truly an herbalist. So. These are things that I have all around me in my home as well as in my business.
0: When you can do so many things with herbs.
1: Oh, exactly. You can do endless amounts of things with herbs. And and it's always something new. There's always something new. Right. So it never gets boring and and I only know a drop in the bucket after 37 years. <laughs> right. You know, I've got so much more I can learn about plants yeah. and ways I can use them going on in my life. So it's, it's pretty magical.
0: Yeah, that it is. So, you know, obviously there's edible herbs, you know, that we're using yes. in cooking. What other kind of herbs do you grow?
1: Well, we grow things that are made into cloth like yucca and flax, Oh, plaques, right. Agaves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We use lots of, or we grow lots of medicine plants here, things like yerba manza, and of course one that is very familiar, echinacea.
2: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm.
1: native plants that are also used medicinally, like Stimmons, um, which is just a wildflower to most people, but that makes incredible chapstick and uh, sunburn oh. cream. Oh, wow. So... <laughs> You know, we we have plants that are used to build things. You know, we have willow here. And willow is not only makes a really good toothbrush when you're backpacking, but you can make trellises for your garden from it. You can make a pain medicine from it. You know, there's just so many ways to use that one little, that one plant.
0: A willow. A willow. All right. Yeah. All right. So you just blew my mind here. Hold on. You You called it a toothbrush. You called it a lattice work. What else did you call it?
1: It's also a pain medicine. Pain you can make medicine from it. Ah. In fact it is the precursor combined with meadowsweet to aspirin.
0: Aspirin. Wow.
1: So wow. originally that that drug was made from willow and meadowsweet, another plant. Wow. And so, you know, now it's all synthetic but you can still use that. Mm-hmm. And and willow is one of the plants that I I suspect might have been one of the most early used plants in human history because going way back to caveman days they were making
0: willow tea for pain. So it's not a new thing. Wow. Yeah, you got to wonder how did they figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> How All different ways, yeah. I
1: suspect. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, and if, I'm not, and if I'm not mistaken, a willow tea is also a rooting hormone. Is that not the case? Yes, it is.
1: And yeah. we use it that way in our greenhouses
0: mm-hmm.
1: when we're doing vegetative propagation on things like rosemaries, which don't germinate very well from seeds. So right. we do most of them from cuttings. And so for those kinds of plants, you can make a willow tea and dip the Little tip cuttings
0: in that, mm-hmm. and then that will stimulate them to root. Nice. Nice. So, is there anything especially unique about your farm that you'd like to share?
1: Well, my farm is unique in that we don't own a tractor, so the wow. locals don't really call us farmers, they call us gardeners.
0: Uh huh.
1: Because you have to have a tractor to be a true farmer. Farmer, there you go. <laughs> and we are a wildlife nature preserve here we're part of the colorado birding trail Mm -hmm. and so we welcome wildlife of all kinds and that's rather unique to um, many kinds of farms where people are more interested in keeping wildlife off we're trying to get it here and those same birds that birders come here to look at we're using for pest management in our field to yeah. control insects so that we don't have to use organic <laughs>
0: pesticides imagine so, that know,
1: imagine that yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. I just once again I, I you know i like to call it out when you know when we're working with nature to to help us manage our garden space
2: Mm-hmm. in fact
0: i i, I just had this memory a few years ago i had a pair of grackles that moved into a peach tree of mine maybe 10 years ago here at the urban farm and that year i got the best peaches out of this tree because the grackles with their nest in the peach tree chased off every other bird
1: oh interesting (laughs) isn't
0: that fun it is fun yeah
1: you know and you get and you learn all kinds of crazy things about animals that you had no clue about if you just take some time to observe what's really going
0: on instead of what you think is going on. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, tell us about your newest book, Cattail Moonshine and Milkweed Medicine. I uh, love the title and the cover's beautiful. Oh, you know,
1: I had the best time writing this book because it's right up my passion alley in terms of looking at how plants are used and interactions between them and people. And so I chose 43 different North American plants and not that doesn't mean the US, that mm-hmm. means Canada,
2: the mm.
1: US and northern Mexico. And so 43 native plants and all the ways that we work with those plants or have worked with them in the past and what we're going to do with them going forward and some of that's already being done for example in the title we talk about cattail moonshine and cattails originally way back way 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 back Mm -hmm. the romans um, made a fermented beverage from the roots of cattails because uh, i should qualify that People who were Romans who didn't have very much money and couldn't afford to buy wine ah. made their own fermented beverage right. from cattail rhizomes. And, and going forward, cattails have been used uh, from everything from miners' torches to light mines for mm-hmm. coal mining. Right. They're used currently, the pollen is used in fireworks formulas. Oh, wow. it's highly explosive. Oh, and, nice. <laughs> you know, and you can make pillows out of cattail fluff. I have a student who furnished her entire house with pillows made and filled with cattail fluff. So, you know, just that one plant. Look at all those different ways. Oh, you my can gosh, use it. You no can even kidding. make pancakes out of it if you want. And then milkweed... Another really fascinating mm. plant. Mm-hmm. So 30 years ago when I did my thesis, I did it on milkweed. And at that time, there was a company in Nebraska that was starting to make pillows and comforters filled with the uh, seed floss from milkweed. And they've been so successful. They're still in business all these years now later uh, and expanding their line. But beyond that, we're now using these that same seed fluff on the milkweed seeds to make these little pillows, um, they call them kits, and uh-huh. they're like 12 inches square, and they're filled with that fluff, and whenever there's an oil spill or a chemical spill, they throw those out on the water, and they don't absorb water because the seed floss is coated with a thin layer of wax uh-huh. naturally in nature.
0: Right. But
1: they do absorb oil and, and chemicals, so they can absorb fifty five times their weight. Oh my gosh. In oil for example. And then they just rake them in off the water from an oil spill or mm-hmm. what have you. And they burn them in big furnaces to make electricity. So how about that wow. for a milkweed that a lot of people just consider a, a weed a problem weed and yeah. and you know, there's a lot of butterflies that rely oh, yes. on that plant yeah. and so this the same companies working with farmers all along the monarch migratory route from mm-hmm. Mexico to Canada so that this plant that is being grown for a crop can also be food for these monarch butterfly larvae. So, wow. you know, this book is just filled with things like that. These are all plants that I work with myself and have for years, so they're, they're familiar friends.
2: Yeah. But
1: there was a lot of interesting bits and pieces about them that you know when you start putting it down and then you start talking to people and all the the different and interesting ways that they are using the plants also it makes for some pretty fun reading
0: i'll bet so you you've written about people using these plants in very unique ways is there one of them that like is is could be epic and it like stands out for you that you can share about
1: well there's a local potter he's actually in my neighborhood more or less uh-huh. in my county and i was fascinated to learn he harvests all his own clay off his property to make his pottery wow and and he fires it in a wood fire kiln but what i was fascinated was is that he uses cottonwood trees to make a green glaze that's this beautiful mossy green color on his pottery Mm -hmm. and it comes from the cottonwood tree and he was telling me about all these plants that he can use to make glazes for his pottery to get colors like blue and pale pink and brown tones and i had no idea that you could use a a tree, you know, to make your pottery look green. Right. And what's with that? <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> interesting. And then there was a gentleman in New England. He went and studied in Oaxaca, Mexico, to learn how to make traditional chocolate. Oh. And so he works with farmers in Mexico, organic farmers, and, are, and gets his chocolate beans mm. from those folks. Uh-huh. And, takes it up to New England and grinds it there in a traditional Mexican way to make Mexican chocolate bars. And um, and that was pretty fascinating, too. It's called Paza
0: <laughs> wow. Chocolate. So maybe you know about that chocolate. Wow. It's very delicious. No, I don't, but I want them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I notice on the, on the cover of your book there are prickly pears, and I live in the desert southwest, and mm-hmm. prickly pears are pretty cool and you know there's a particular way you have to harvest them but tell us about prickly pears
1: so depending on what kind of prickly pear you have Mm -hmm. um, you can do different things with it so the ones that grow in in arizona and colorado are pretty rugged prickly pears you know they're pretty ruthless
0: Mm -hmm. they have
1: really long spines and those spines have been used as tattoo needles oh my gosh fairly painful to me. Wow. Um, but there is another type of prickly pear that grows a little further south into Mexico. It doesn't have a, a wicked, mean spines. It still has little little stickers but not so bad Mm -hmm. and those are um, nopalitos or nopales yes yes. and that is a primary vegetable plant right right and the fruits are delicious they taste like melons you can make pies or margaritas Mm -hmm. from them jam and jellies very tasty fruit but there again you have to Get rid of those little spines first before you can use them.
0: The color of the fruit is just amazing.
1: It is. And what's even more interesting is there's this little insect called Mm cochineal. And they live on these prickly pears. And so when you're walking on a trail hiking, you might see what looks like cottony, mossy, you know kind of webby stuff all yeah. over the prickly pear mm-hmm. but that's actually an insect and if you were to scrape that off and smash it in your finger it would turn your fingers scarlet red mm. and those cochineal beetles are used to make scarlet red dye and that was used way back um, by the british redcoats for their um
0: oh my gosh to dye
1: their jackets of course and now they're big plantations that all they raise the prickly pear for is to
0: act as Cocainele. food for these yeah. cochineal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Wow.
0: So, do you think we'll always use plants? Oh, yeah.
1: I yeah. think so. I don't see how we can get around that. Do you?
0: No. No. And I mean,
1: I, we, we might live in a world of plastic, but there are just some things that it can't yeah. do.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. So, I'm, I, I jumped <laughs> over on your blog desertcanyonfarm.wordpress.com, and uh, the first picture that pops up to me from May 27th is potatoes. (laughs) Yeah. You have quite the crop of wonderful-looking potatoes here. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I raise my potatoes in barrels Ah. because... I'm in my 50s, and I've decided (laughs) a while back ago that I was too old to dig potatoes out of the ground.
0: Yes. But
1: I I also live where the soil is very clay, and and it is hard to dig them up, Mm -hmm. but mostly I put them into barrels because it's just the easiest thing in the world, and and you can use like a plastic or metal trash can that's been completely scoured clean
2: mm-hmm.
1: and has holes cut in the bottom you can grow your potatoes in that and it, and at every layer of soil that you are adding as the potato vines are starting to grow you're going to get another layer of potatoes so those potatoes in that picture were raised in a trash barrel uh-huh. and one trash barrel gives me about 30 pounds of potatoes. Wow. So it's a very concentrated, uh-huh. space-friendly way to raise my potatoes. Yeah. And when it's time to harvest them, I just find a spot in the garden that needs some extra soil <laughs> and dump it out and have a treasure hunt to find all the potatoes. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm good to go.
0: Nice. You know, I was at uh, my friend Cricket. She was on our podcast a couple of months ago. I was at her house recently, and she had taken uh, like a 15-gallon black plastic tree tub and planted potatoes in the bottom. And then she took like an 8-gallon one, cut the bottom off of it, and set it on top of it and kept putting soil on. So then the the potato grew up through that, and then she put a 5-gallon on top of that. So it's like this pyramid of potatoes that she's growing.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah, it is sort of like that. I, yeah. You know, I'm layering them up like that, too, but not with extra containers. So yeah. that's
0: interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. The the extra container piece was like, hmm, now that's curious. I'm going to have to try yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: Well, there's been so many things that I have not done well or I have failed at. And actually, I have a mentor, which maybe some of your listeners know. Mm-hmm. His name is Danny Odi and he's a senior curator at Denver Botanic Gardens. Oh, nice. And he has always been a, a good friend. And when I was a new herbalist and plant propagator, he was a, a an important teacher in my life. And and he used to say well good gardeners murder a lot of plants <laughs> and and i t- i took issue with that i thought that was pretty strong language mm-hmm. and so he softened it and he said okay well they just don't they're not successful yeah <laughs> but it's true you know you can't worry too much about those failures because there's always a gift in them. First off, you always yeah. learn something or you get something from anything that happens in your life, and certainly failing is going to give you some lesson or tool or you know something you're going to get from that that's a gift. Yeah. I have to tell you that when I was a, a propagator at Paulino Gardens, I was growing about three thousand different kinds of plants there, and. I was supposed to be growing this collection of culinary herbs, including chives. Well, chives from seed are probably one of the easiest herbs you can grow from seed. There's Mm. nothing tricky, nothing special about sowing the seed and having them grow. Uh But for two years, I could not grow chives from seed. No matter what I tried, I tried, first I blamed it on the seed source. It must be a bad seed source. Uh And so I changed the seed supplier, and that didn't matter. And and I changed all these different things that I was doing, and I would have to have other people sow the chives for the nursery because if I did it, they wouldn't grow. (laughs)
2: And? And that was a
1: pretty big head trip, you know? Yeah. You start wondering, well, am I a plant propagator or not? Right. And then it just stopped happening, you know, and I and the lesson of that was that, you know, just maybe sometimes you just can't be too intense or you can't be too righteous. You gotta you gotta keep humble about these things. (laughs) And you know, just think like a plant. That was that was told to me years ago and, and I've always remembered that. If you think like a person and you try to plant seeds or propagate plants or grow them in your garden the way that you want them to grow, mm-hmm. well, they probably are going to have something different in mind. And, <laughs> and they may likely not cooperate yeah. with you. And, and you just have to put yourself in that plant's place and think about what, what would this plant do if it was growing in its most optimum choice of yeah. place? And how can I mimic that? So now I don't have any trouble growing chives at all. I think that was a very humbling experience. It it kind of gave me a reality check.
0: Did you ever figure out what was happening or not happening?
1: I think I was just trying to analyze it too much. You know, I was Mm -hmm. counting the seeds exactly for each plug cell and and trying to get the depth exactly right of covering them up. and, And I was just fussing about it too much. And and I shouldn't have been doing that. I should just have been, you know, lightly scattering the seeds and not worrying if it was exactly to the mark and, and uh, so on, because, you know, plants don't read books. They don't really care what the books tell you, how deep they should be planted. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things that I noticed, because you said two years, you tried to grow them for two years, right?
1: Yes. So, yes.
0: Yeah, one of the things I just want to shout out to is you didn't give up.
1: No, no. Well, that wouldn't have accomplished anything.
0: Right, right. And, you know, that's one of the things as as farmers, as gardeners, as people that grow and nurture plants. I, I tell people this all the time. I promise you, I've killed more plants than you have. Well, maybe not you, Tammy, but most of the people I talk to, I've killed more plants than you have, not on purpose, but, you know, that's how we learn.
1: That's how we learn, yeah. and... And you know and it's not a big deal most of the time. I mean, I suppose there could be a time when it could be a big deal, but if you kill a plant, it's going to go back to the earth and become fertilizer for something else to grow or right. it's going to become food for something to eat. And it, and you know, it's it's just not something that we need to overanalyze. It's part of the cycle of life. Yeah. And and that's just all part of the process.
0: Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Well, my biggest success, I probably don't have one big success. I feel really fortunate that I've been able to earn my livelihood mm. doing something that I really love,
2: mm-hmm. growing
1: plants and, and helping other people to enjoy plants. And that, that feels like the biggest gift and the biggest success I could ever wish for, yeah. in truth. So I'm just real fortunate that way, and the other part of that is that I'm always going to be able to learn more about this, so you know the, the successes just build on one another and and what I do now will be different than what I 'm doing in fifteen years i suppose right to some and to some degree at least, mm-hmm. but it it's just all part of my life story and and I'm blessed
0: hmm. Isn't that nice?
1: It is. I I'd yep. love
0: that. Yeah, when when you get to a place of doing what you love, making you know making a living at it and you know contributing. Wow.
1: Right. Well, it's kind of a bargain that you make. Whatever you do for your livelihood, I think that's probably true. But for me, the plants have taught me a lot and they continue to teach me every minute of every day mm-hmm. and so part of my agreement with them is that i need to share that on and make it available to others wow. you know so whether that's my community or through my blog or um just the neighbors getting together for a potluck you uh-huh. know and maybe they right. get to eat dandelion in their roasted chicken and they've never done that before mm-hmm. you know whatever it is
0: Beautiful. What drives you?
1: I think what drives me is that I look out the window and I see this beautiful pear tree filled with goldfinches. And I think, wow, you know, isn't this incredibly amazing? Everything is so interwoven mm. in life. You know, one thing requires something else and we think that we live in this great big world, but then you find out that somebody on the other side of the world is talking to you about something that you're doing at your place, and it's all interwoven. It all works together. You know, nature is amazing that way. Right. And, and that's what drives me because I just, I'm so inspired by it. And I just want to be a participant mm, in it. Yeah. And I would be anyway, whether I wanted to be or not.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. I'm a
1: willing participant.
0: Exactly, exactly. As, as we're talking, I just, I clicked on the, your About Us page, and I, I got a, a picture of you and Chris smiling at me. And <laughs> it says, the farm has been certified organic since 1996. Right. That's 21 That's... years ago.
1: Right. We celebrated our 21st year here in February. Wow. That that is epic. It's fantastic. It's kind of a, uh, it's sort of a puzzle because in some respects, it feels like we've always, always been here. Mm -hmm. And in other ways, we look around and we think, gosh, it doesn't feel like we've been here 21 years. (laughs) Right. You know, but then I see that there are giant trees here, and there weren't any trees here when we moved here. Yeah, And
0: so, yeah, 21 years. It feels pretty good. You know, while we're here and kind of reminiscing about that, I want you to stand at a corner of your farm and look out over the farm and tell us what you see.
1: Okay, so I am looking out a north window of my office,
0: uh-huh.
1: and there is a what I call the pollinator hedge planted on the north side of our house and my office building here.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And that pollinator hedge, I'm looking at morning doves and goldfinches and grosbeaks, and there are fawns here that are, are brand-newly born um, with their mothers. And then I look beyond that, about 25 or 30 feet into the perennial flower seed crop
0: uh-huh. field. Right.
1: And and of course it's the spring here, so we're just the field the field is just really beginning to get going for mm-hmm. the season. Right. But there's sea kale out there, and sea kale is a this perennial kale that's massive. It's big, and it's blue-green color, and it's blooming right now with these big sprays of white flowers that look like giant baby's breath. Wow. So that's there. And then I look a little further to a huge mulberry tree on the very edge of the property. Mm-hmm. And then I can see a little tiny old rickety well house that sits on one corner where the old farmhouse was way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, well, I don't know, there's a silver maple tree there that was really small and stunted when we moved here because it never got watered. And now it's a huge tree. And and then there's the food garden is there. So the food garden has raspberries coming up now and the garlic is jamming. And there's all these little viola Johnny Jump Up, which are edible flowers. Well, they're just everywhere because they seed all over the place. And I just let them do that because when the second graders come to visit the farm, they like to eat those. Of course. So <laughs> they get to go on a foraging trip through the food garden and pick all of the Johnny Jump Up heartsease flowers and, and snack on them.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So you interact with the public in m- more ways than just selling them plants then.
1: Yes, we do. We have... Oh, I think I was telling you we're part of the birding trail and oh, we're yes. nature preserve. And and so we, we encourage the community to be here on the farm. We don't want them to just ramble about without us not knowing that they're here. Mm-hmm. But And then once the busy season in the spring is passed, around the 15th of June, we start hosting school groups here. Oh, and nice. And school groups come from about three counties. And we always tailor their visit to something that they're learning. So the second graders come and learn about seeds and the fifth graders come and they're learning about solar energy and our farm is um, provide, uh, our electricity is provided by solar. And the eighth graders come and have a greenhouse cooking class where we pick herbs in the greenhouse and make lunch on the work table. Wow! And so that's I feel like it's really important that this farm serve as a community a community servant, really. And so yeah. that's important. And we used to have a school here where adults would come and learn, and we closed that because we decided we had lots of other things we needed to do. But more importantly, we wanted the kids to be here because yeah. they just don't get that many opportunities to see what a working farm is all about.
0: Right. Especially one without a tractor.
1: Without a tractor and no cows.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and where I live, cows are all that exist on most of the farms right. here.
0: exactly. How do you keep them out?
1: Well, they're just, they just, they live where they live. They're uh-huh. not here. Oh, <laughs> well, good, good.
0: So, is there someone that has been influential for you in your life?
1: Many people have been, but... I think two people, I would say. Actually, I'm going to say three people. My great-aunt is Mm -hmm. probably responsible for my becoming an herbalist. (laughs) I love that. Because (laughs) she lived in Prescott, Arizona, and we would go there to visit. And Mm -hmm. she was always doing goofy things with comfrey or, I don't know, just whatever herb was of interest to her at the time. And, And the rest of the family was kind of... Half afraid to eat whatever she was putting on the table, but <laughs> right? I was fascinated by it, and I just wanted to know everything that she could tell me. Yeah, and she was quite a gardener, so she was probably my very first, most important influence, mm-hmm. uh, influential person. But Rosemary Gladstar was one of my early teachers. She's a, a world-renowned herbalist, and and she's become a dear friend to me through the years, and someone that's from your neck of the woods Gary Nabin
0: oh yes um,
1: who is an ethnobotanist Mm -hmm. and he is also a friend now but I took classes from him when I was in herb school way 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 back and those people taught me not just about plants but how to how to really respect and honor the plants because it's, it's easy to think about these things as just for our use, but they're really not, you know, plants don't have blue, you know, blueberries aren't blue for our benefit to make us have tasty fruit. They're blue so that they don't freeze. Oh, right. (laughs) They have anthocyanidins in them Mm -hmm. that are really good for our eyesight, but that's not why they, the plant has them, you know, they don't care about our eyesight. So (laughs) I think that it's, those people taught me to, you know, try to keep a an honoring perspective of the gifts that come from plants yeah. and and ha- and all the ways that we use wow. them. So important people in my life.
0: Yeah. Mentors and are those that we learn from are so important. Right. So, so what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Think like a plant, not oh. like a person. Yeah. Honestly, if you do that, you you're not going to go wrong. Especially if you want to grow a plant. Mm-hmm. And in, if you fail, well, so what? You know, you try yeah. again. Right. Because that happens to everybody, and and it's just it's not a failure really. It's yeah. just a small step instead of a big
0: one. So, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around think like a plant, and. One of the things that... So I, I educate people here in Phoenix about fruit trees and how to grow fruit trees. And, you know, in the middle of August, it gets pretty dang hot. And so right. one of the things that I tell people, and I think this is what you're alluding to when you say think like a plant, what I tell people is go out and stand in the area where the tree's going to live in July and August and tell me if you would not want to live there for right. any length of time. Is that That's what you're talking about, right?
1: That's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. and And also take a few minutes to understand where does that plant live in its native place Mm. and so where does it live does it live in a warm place a mountain place a desert place does it have abundant spring water is it who lives in community with it you know what other plants live near it or what animals are important to it which pollinators does it need And then once you understand a little bit about that, then you can offer that to the plant or find a way to mimic it to the degree that is possible. So, for example, if I want to grow echinacea Uh from seed, well, echinacea grows in places that have cold, harsh winters. And the seeds ripen in the fall, and, and in nature, they either stay in the cone during the winter or they fall on the ground. And and they're exposed to the elements all winter, right? So they get this cold, cold winter of about three months. Right. Or more or less. And there's freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing involved with that, moisture and not dry periods. So when you want to grow that seed, if you just take it out of the seed envelope and plant it, you might get one or two that are going to sprout, but most of them probably won't. Mm-hmm. Instead, take that seed packet and put it in the freezer for about three months
2: if Uh, you can or at least
1: three weeks Mm -hmm. and give it that winter time and then when you're just about ready to plant it take it out of the freezer for the day and lay it on the counter and then put it back in the freezer that Mm -hmm. night and give it a couple of days to mimic spring you know freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing and now when you plant it it's going to be spring to the plant, right? right. So it's going, to have, it's going to need abundant moisture. So keep it moist, and it's going to germinate. And you're going to have this wonderful plant to put in your garden at the end of the spring season that's just going to be happy as anything to grow there.
0: Wow. I have to tell you, I've been, I've been teaching about 30 years about planting, and I've been growing food for over 40 here in the Valley. And this last four minutes has informed me so much about how I'm going to teach going into the future. So I really Oh my God. Thank you so much because there is so much to what you just said.
1: Well, if you can just not be a person for half a minute. <laughs> right,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> then wow. you probably will have a little insight about you know yeah. what it is you're trying to accomplish and yeah. And really, there's some really interesting books about this. Uh, there's one called How Trees Communicate with One Another. Mm. And uh, I can't think of the author just off the top we'll of my it. head, But yeah. but it's sort of that very same thing. And I was reading that book this winter and thinking, oh, yeah, that's all he's talking about is just think about how this plant thinks about things. Yeah. You know, how does this tree exist and what does it want? Yeah. you're right go sit where the fruit tree is going to be in July and August and and is that a comfortable place as comfortable I, a place as you can manage for that tree
0: yeah exactly well I call that epic I, I am always looking for epic in my mm. you know in my conversations with people on the podcast Larry Santoyo uh, you know he gives people at the end of his permaculture design courses he gives people the assignment to go out and do epic stuff in the world he doesn't call it stuff Mm -hmm. he calls it something else but uh, Mm -hmm. you you know you can imagine and and so i took that years at least a decade ago and and that's what i look for i look for epic and that piece of sharing that you did that was epic thank you so much for that
1: oh my pleasure Mm. It's a small thing.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Tammy.
1: It's been my pleasure, and have a wonderful spring.
0: Thank you. I'm planning on it. So how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Oh, well, so people can visit my blog website, and it's desertcanyonfarm.wordpress.com. hmm and there is information there about our address and so forth. So that's, that's probably the best way to connect perfect.
0: with us. Perfect, perfect. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org slash cattailmoonshine. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWANTtogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWANTtogarden.com.